0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a lot of distro news to cover, with Debian, Fedora, Red Hat, Deepin, Farron OS, Netrunner, Parrot Security, and more. We'll check out some app news for a couple financial apps from KDE, KMyMoney, and Scrooge. Ulauncher, a new application launcher tool has been announced, and some new services have been launched from Purism and Tutanota. Later in the show we'll cover a Firefox blunder, and some Linux gaming news. All that and much more coming up, I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And this is your weekly source for Linux good news. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to take a second to talk about a new platform that I wanted to try, and that is Sponsus, or S-P-O-N-S-U-S. Sponsus is a platform that is an alternative to Patreon. So if you're not aware, Patreon and Sponsus are platforms that allow you to Uh, Monthly donate uh, to the Chet Tuxedo channel as well as this podcast, and that allows this allows me to spend more time and devote more time to uh, developing more content, making new videos, making new podcast episodes, and everything like that. But at the same time, you also get perks and rewards for doing so. So once you don't when you donate, you also get benefits of having unedited episodes, uh, being able to join uh, the Patron-only Discord servers. Being able to join this show during the recording, during the live stream, that is uh, only exclusive to text chat for non non patrons. But if you're a patron, regardless of what platform, you can uh, join the Discord server and join me on the show, and we can have a conversation during the stream. You know that kind of thing. So there's many perks uh, that are available for people who are patrons. But uh, Sponsors is an alternative that I wanted to try because it's it's pretty new. It's only been around for actually not maybe less than a month or so, because it was created for the purpose of uh, combating and competing with Patreon. And the reason is because Patreon has had some issues with that with some censoring and some deplatforming of people, and there's a lot of the community don't really like uh, the a lot of the YouTube community, a lot of the creator community don't really like Patreon. So their sponsors was one of those people who decided I'm going to make my own. But at the same time, they were like, "Well, I want to make my own, and I'll just share it with everybody else too, because you know, why not?" So they did make their own, and they decided to let people to sign up and, you know, use their platform as an alternative. And that's why I wanted to try it out to see how well it how well it worked and to see like see if it could do what I hope it could do. Now we're not getting rid of Patreon right now because Patreon is a platform that people are already using, and I don't want to just you know make a you know make a big mess and move everybody over to sponsors uh, until I know for a fact that it's a a platform that can support it however there's also some other reasons why I don't want to get rid of Patreon and one of the bigger reasons is you'll see in the video of this episode the sponsor sponsors page and the sponsors page has a minimum tier of three dollars a month and the reason for that is not because I'm greedy I whatever you can give me is amazing, and I appreciate it. It doesn't matter. I I appreciate it very much. I've uh, I can't really explain how much I appreciate people who are willing to uh, contribute to the channel. But the amount of fees that are the structure, the way the structure of fees in sponsors is, makes it not practical to do one one dollar a month. So let me explain. Uh, Patreon has. A one dollar a month option because they do this transactional uh, pooling system. So essentially, everybody pledges to donate a certain amount, and then all of that money is collected at once, and the transaction fee is applied to the alt the collective total. So that ten percent to twelve percent is a uh, is not as much on individual transactions; it's on the whole pool, which. The sponsors platform does individual transactions, which makes it a lot more complicated. Because in order to do that, they have to have a transaction or processing company, and the company they chose is Stripe. Now, I am a big fan of Stripe. I've used it in many websites that I've built. Uh, it is very powerful and it's very nice, and it's uh, their fees are reasonable. But at the same time, their fees are high if you are getting a dollar in that uh, that transaction. So. Because they're not doing a polling system, they're doing in each individual pledge or individual con- contribution donation is uh, applied to a transaction fee. The transaction fee becomes a lot higher, so the the platform fee is actually only seven percent for sponsors, which is much lower than the ten to twelve percent, which fluctuates for some reason for a Patreon. And but at the same time, there's also a little bit of an asterisk that kinda makes it a little bit more expensive of transaction fee and that is Stripe has this process, the same thing that happens at PayPal as well you have a 2.9% fee plus 30 cents so if you only do a dollar you're actually tacking on that 30 cents to that dollar turning it into instead of 7% seven to or you know 3, 2.9% it becomes 32.9% or 37% so it's just not practical to offer a $1 patronage in sponsors because of the way that stripe does their transaction fees so that is a very long-winded version of explaining why there's a $3 minimum on sponsors but if you would like to have an al- alternative to patreon so far I think this is the best possible option that we could use so I wanted to try it out and if you would like to try it out with me I would very much appreciate it and yeah so any, and also people who are already patrons, thank you very much. It's amazing. I, I can't really express my gratitude to the full extent because I, I don't think there are words for it. But anyway, uh, let's get to the show. Up first in the show this week is Debian news. We actually have a lot of Debian news. And that to start, we're going to start off with Debian 9.9. So Debian 9.9 introduces 120 security updates and bug fixes. Now, this is actually... A stable release, but it's because it's a 9.9. It's pretty close to the next version of Debian, and that is Debian 10. So Debian 10 will is they've already in, they're already in feature freeze for the release of Debian 10, but they haven't really given an announcement for when that's going to happen. It'll probably happen fairly soon, definitely within the year, like within 2019, and I suspect somewhere between a month to maybe uh, two months or so. Uh, Somewhere around there is when it'll probably happen, but we don't have a schedule right now because Debian never provides a release date. They just decide it's ready and then they release it, so that's what happens. Uh, But Debian 10 has a lot of cool stuff coming. So first of all, they have a new theme and wallpaper design, which is nice. It's a very nice looking um, blue design that's that's in it. Uh, They have a a uh, new updated version of GNOME Desktop, which is 3.30. Now, it's not the latest version of the GNOME with 3.32, but to be fair, Debian rarely publishes the latest version of anything in um, in their stable releases, so that's not really surprising. Uh, they do have a fairly up-to-date kernel, though, with 4.19. It's not the latest one that's uh, at all, but uh, it's fairly up-to-date. And uh, OpenJDK is at 11.0. That's also not up to date, but whatever. (laughs) AppArmor will actually be enabled by default in the newest version of Debian 10, which is very interesting because that also uh, makes it possible for snap packages to easily be set up for Debian uh, without doing much effort because AppArmor would already be available. They've also decided to replace IP tables with NF tables, which is pretty cool. Because NF tables is a lot more user friendly than IP tables, by a ton, really. I mean, I mean it's still it's still a complicated structure, but not as bad as IP tables. Uh, they've also done a lot of uh, improvements to support for more uh, ARM64 and ARMhf uh, boards. They've also decided to remove Python 2 support and just stick with Python 3, which is great because Python 2 has been deprecated for a while. Uh, they've, um, they've updated their bash support for bash 5.0 and they've introduced secure boot support. Uh, additionally, the, la- the last thing I want to talk about the latest version of Debian Buster is that they are making a new live installer. Now they're still going to have, I'm pretty sure, they're still going to have the old installer if you would want to, want to use it. But they're now going to in- introduce uh, Calamares as an uh, option for the live installer with the Debian live images. So that's pretty cool. And finally, let's talk about the new project leader for Debian, and that is Sam Hartman. His tagline for trying to become the, the, his candidacy for becoming project leader was keep Debian fun, which is an interesting tagline because it's, uh, fun is not the first word that comes to mind when I think about Debian, but anyway, so... He said, uh, as a project leader, he says he wants to promote listening and disagreements without escalation, and coming to an important project and coming to important project decisions more timely, including through proposing uh, general resolutions where appropriate. So it, there's a, there's a huge amount of things that, and if you want, I'll have a link to the uh, his his uh, candidacy request or resume. I don't know what to call it. Uh, that he submitted for becoming the project leader if you're interested in learning more about what his plans are and things but it's interesting because it's like he wanted to make Debian you know f- I think it's better to say make it fun more fun make it fun again or whatever uh, because Debian for the is is not known for having the most uh, fun environment and it's also like very strict and you know structured so we'll see what happens there. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing what happens with them having a new project leader, because, um, you know, if his goals are to, you know, streamline processes and things, uh, I think Debian does need to streamline quite a bit of stuff, uh, because not necessarily because they have old packages, but because, uh, when I've tried to contribute to Debian, uh, you learn very quickly that it's, um, it's a bit of a task. So if they were to make that a better experience, that would be awesome. So anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Debian 9.9, the new Debian 10 features, or uh, learn about the new Project Leader, then I'll have a link to all of that in the show notes. Up next in the show is another distro news release is uh, Fedora 30. So Fedora 30 has been released with both the workstation and the server versions. There's a lot of changes in this version, uh, but we're not going to go cover everything. We're just going to talk about the like the notable things, Uh, Like, for example, Linux kernel 5.0 is included, Mesa Mesa drivers 19 are included, Uh, Gnome 3.32, and a bunch of other package upgrades, including some programming languages like Ruby, PHP. Uh, There's also scripting with Bash and and many more uh, libraries like glibc and, and so on. Um, there's also, so they're talking about, uh, the, one of the things that, I, that a lot of people have been bothered by Fedora in the past is that when you boot your system, there's a, like some weird flickers happening. Uh, and they've said that in Fedora 30 that they are now uh, having a flicker-free boot, which is really good. They've also changed uh, the default format for crypt setup, for the crypt uh, encryption setup or encrypt setup to use metadata format for uh, Lux2. Uh, they've also enabled the Dbus broker service to use uh, dbus broker as a system and ses- session message bus backend but let's get into the thing that I think is the most interesting and that is they are offering two new actually i'm not sure if if might be three new but i'm not i don't anyway there are uh, some more spins or op- desktop options in fedora 30. I I don't know if LXQt was in it before or not, so that's the one I'm thinking. I'm not sure if it's two or three, but uh, LXQt 0.14 will be included in Fedora, and they're also including an option for Deepin Desktop and Pantheon Desktop. If you're not aware, Deepin is from the Deepin Linux project, and Pantheon is from the Elementary OS project. So this is interesting because they are offering some more you know more approaches to having these DEs in a um, in the spins, uh, these are actually official versions, not just like community spins. So it's pretty cool that they're doing this because, uh, you know, Fedora for a long time is just using the main uh, staple options. And it's, it's pretty cool to see that they're adding some extras for that. So if you'd like to learn more about Fedora, you can check out the sh- uh, link in the show notes for Fedora 30. Uh, you can also check out the episode, uh, previously we talked about uh, Gnome 3.32, where we talk about like what's different in that particular version, which applies to Fedora 30 here. I'll have a link to that for that episode in the show notes below as well, so check that out if you'd like to. And uh, yeah, let's move on to the next topic. Up next in the show is Red Hat. They've actually announced a new brand and logo for their company. So the Red Hat new new logo is very similar to the old one, but more modern and uh flat design or you know, it's just a better overall approach. Now some people might not agree with that. They might like the older version uh that had like a uh the shadow man in it, and uh some people do like it. I think it's a better option because it's it's much more modern because they haven't actually changed the logo in like since nineteen ninety seven or something, and it definitely showed. You could tell it was a pretty old logo, so it's good that they did, uh, you know, decide to rebrand it overall, like make a new logo. But they didn't change too much, so it's still basically a red fedora, or I guess a red homburg, maybe. Not really sure how they just de- how they describe it, which kind of hat it is. Anyway, it's it's pretty good because um, I think it's a nice design. It's it, the definitely the the more modern approach is better now these days. Of course, um, they also. Capitalized the letters in red Hat and they separated them, showing that the company's name is red Hat, not red Hat or whatever, because they used to have a small lowercase all bunched together, and every time someone um you know described it as not as as based on the logo, they didn't really like it, so it was like you definitely need to update your branding if you have a problem with your own logo, so I'm happy that they're doing it, and I think it's a better Approach. I think it looks much better than the uh, previous Shadow Man uh, icon. I mean, the Shadow Man thing was good for a while, but it's been, you know, 1997. Is, it's been long enough. So, anyway, additional to that, they also announced that they are taking over the work to maintain uh, OpenJDK or, you know, Java to help breathe new life into Java. So, uh, OpenJDK is the community ran a Java development kit and Oracle has essentially abandoned Java like they still sort of work on it and they still they, they they kind of they don't promote their own Java version they don't promote Oracle JDK anymore they promote open JDK so they can not have as much work on it I suppose and i more than most people would be like well isn't this great because they're handing off the control to the community And they're embracing the community. Like, well, no, they're just kind of like giving it over. But they're not really embracing the community because what they're doing is what they typically do for any of their software that they don't want to work on anymore. And they think that they're losing money on. They just abandon it. So that's pretty much what happened with uh, OpenOffice and LibreOffice. So OpenOffice, Oracle decided to, well, ruin. And everybody who worked on OpenOffice decided to leave and create LibreOffice and then oracle abandoned OpenOffice, and then apache picked it up so i don't consider this really that of a good thing from oracle side but it's really cool that red hat is taking the reins of you know maintaining uh, both H- open jdk 8 and 11. the current version is 12 but uh it's great because there's backwards compatibility and or you know existing like long-term support options would are necessary for people who build on java so that part is good so good on red hat for doing that and uh yeah so uh, if you'd like to learn more about the reason why they changed the branding or you know the branding pro- um, uh, contest they were doing if you learn more about that or if you want to learn more about opengdk i have a link to both of those in the show notes below up next in the show is some somewhat negative news but actually kind of a um you know a good news in disguise. So the bad news is that Scientific Linux has decided to end development. So Fermilab, or Fermilab, not sure, they maintain Scientific Linux and have done so for quite a long time. But unfortunately they've decided to Uh, no longer maintain it and discontinue the distribution. They will still continue to develop what exists right now, and they will still maintain it and provide like security updates and that kind of thing for people who are currently using it. So it's not like they're just dropping it completely. They're not Oracle. So um, if you are using it, you can continue to use it for the lifetime of the uh, long-term support or the the support term that they have announced. Um, But in the future, they're not going to do any more Um, Scientific Linux releases. They're going to be switching their development to focusing on CentOS as the base and then create their scientific computing environments and and set that on top of CentOS. So that's actually pretty cool because they're um, making it possible to Use CentOS as the base rather than just use Scientific Linux, which also offers a collaborative approach to you know other institutions or other companies to work in tandem with Scientific Linux. Rather, if, like, but they maybe they wanted to use CentOS and they couldn't get those tools on there, which made it more awkward. So they couldn't do the collaboration. Now it makes it impossible to do so, which is very cool. Now you might be wondering, why do you why does Scientific Linux? Um, why, why does that exist and centos exist why are they doing it now you know why are they switching now well centos and scientific linux are both based on red hat or based on the red hat source and they build their own distro and at the time centos didn't exist so scientific linux created a their own distro based on Red Hat because they wanted to use Red Hat but didn't want to pay for the services of of like, they didn't need the support of Red Hat essentially. So they decided to take the source and build out their own distro and use it that way and build their tools on top of it. What's interesting is that I think it's a very small amount of time. I'm pretty sure it's like four days or something from when Scientific Linux started to when CentOS started. Um, So that's just a nice little bit of information. So... It's, uh, it's pretty cool because uh, they're, they're doing the whole collaboration thing, um, but I think it's really, really cool is that they've recognized that uh, using a different base to build their tools on top of it makes it possible for other people to benefit from their stuff even more so and allows them to benefit from the development of other people who might want to use their tools as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So I'll have a link to the, the announcement from scientific Linux, um, when their announcement to end it. But overall, I think this is really good news for the community and really good news for people who want to use these tools and, or, you know, you sent to us already that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, sounds bad, but actually pretty good. So cool. So to go from some news that sounds bad, but isn't bad to some news that sounds bad and, uh, is totally, totally bad. Uh, not horrible, but you know, definitely a, a mistake, a blunder, if you will. So Firefox had some issues with their add-ons over the weekend, and it's because uh, there was an expired certificate. You know, the thing that you could uh, do you use for sh- uh, secure transactions—not uh, transactions like money, but trans like you know secure connections over the internet—that um, you can automate. And they didn't, or whatever. I don't know why, but essentially, what happened was the certificate expired and created an invalid signature structure for all of their, well, basically every add-on in the add-on store. Not every, not everything. Uh, Mozilla's add-ons uh, website didn't like; it wasn't hundred percent affected. I had a few. I think I had like two extensions that weren't hurt by it or weren't affected by it. But overall, uh, majority of them were. And uh, including like Grease Monkey, Ghostery, NoScript, UBlock Origin, and many more. So yeah, that's not good. Uh, Mozilla developers definitely scrambled really quickly to address the issue. They actually patched the system, patched the problem through the Shield Service or the uh, Firefox Studies program thing. So you could install the fix and then also uh, disable the studies thing or disable the Shield Service. Um, once you've got the fix imp- implemented, so you did, so you had to either do one of two things: do a workaround that you go into the about config and change a particular boolean um, value from true to false, and then, or you could go into the shield service, implement a patch, and then be you know good to go. Uh, so that's not it's it's okay that they, you know, no, it's not okay. It's not bad in the sense of like catastrophic problem it was very annoying uh and, and it hit people at different times like i, I it took uh till like two or three days after it started for it to hit me and when it did it totally uh messed up most of my items and i had to go through the you know fix process but the fixes were already out at the time so it wasn't that big of a deal but overall it's definitely an issue so i don't want to pretend that it's not a problem even though i am a firefox fan I don't, I, it is definitely a problem that there, there was no reason for this to happen. All you have to do is, you know, renew your certificate and hopefully they learned their lesson from this and make sure that they have it ready to go or have it re, uh, reinstated or a new one or whatever, automate the process. I don't know. There's, there should be many ways to do it. I mean, automating is possible. So whatever, <laughs> I hope this doesn't happen again because this was eh, not very good. uh, Some people were like deciding to move over to Chrome, which was weird, because if you're using Firefox, you're you're probably using it for a reason that makes no reason to use Chrome, but eh, who knows. Anyway, I still think Firefox is a fantastic browser, even if they screw up sometimes, which they do, of course. Everybody screws up, but... Uh, I still think Firefox is a fantastic browser. The container tabs structure is awesome. It's the, probably the best feature of any browser in existence. And if you've never tried that, you need to check it out. I'm making a video on the container tabs as we speak. Okay, not as we speak because as I speak, I'm making this show, but I'm I am making the channel, making a video for the channel of container tabs. So, you know. Anyway, <laughs> if you learn want to learn more about this, or if you were affected, and you want to get the uh, and you haven't been able to fix it yet, I'll have a link to the explanation to how to fix it in the show notes below. Up next in the show, Purism has announced that their, their launch of the Librem 1 bundle of ethical services and software. So this is interesting because this is a um, software that is released to kind of combat the exploitative nature of companies like Facebook and Google, where they sell your data and collect as much information about you as they can. Uh, this is more of a you know a services that you can sign up for and use them without worrying about your privacy being uh, violated. So they promise to have no ads, no tracking, and they will spread you by never selling you selling or sharing anything from whatever you do on those services. Um, for messages, for instance, they have three options. There's public, private, and temporary. Uh, you can uh, also if you have ca- if you want to cancel your account, um, all data and the account name will be deleted forever so if you decide to completely remove your leave from the thing they don't keep anything after the fact they just delete it all they also have it's also encrypted so they have no access to it when you're you're using it that's the whole point of like the no tracking and everything um, this is a paid service it will cost about uh, eight dollars a month or seven ninety nine whatever uh, or you can get a cheaper option by doing it over like you're paying for a year now the interesting thing is um... It's currently limited right now. So they've said that they're going to be releasing a lot more applications and services, but they currently only have, I think, four right now. And um, so I think that's kind of weird that they launched it before really having everything ready. But okay. They also are going to do a family plan of $14, $14 a month. So you have $8 a month for one person or $14 a month for five people. So that's a cool approach because they're making it more practical for people who are doing it in a group. I like that. Uh, but they also have another option where you can do a free version. So you can n- uh, not pay anything and get access to the chat and the social services. Uh, the chat is actually based on Matrix. So you'd you'd basically join a Matrix ch- uh, room and have discussions and stuff. Or you could do uh, Librem Social and uh, you'd basically be using... Mastodon, so uh, it's it's pretty cool because uh, I like the idea of this. You know, I don't really I don't know if the execution is there yet because they still have a lot of things that are are not available yet. Like they talk about they're going to be adding a files structure or backup options or contacts and stuff like that, which is kind of like implementing Nextcloud all together in this service, which. Has potential. Like all, once that's all, re- all there, it does have potential. But at the same time, there's been a little bit of controversy. Not a ton. Not like a huge amount. But some people have been annoyed by the fact that uh, in the initial launch, all these applications were um, talked about as being, you know, Librem applications and Librem services, but they were rebranded versions of existing open source tools, and this has bothered people. You know, some people. I think it's kind of okay, depending on because if as long as they're respecting the license of those tools, it's okay if you rebrand. Actually, that's part of the license that you can, so that's not a big deal to me. Um, But overall, they've actually come out and 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 responded to this criticism, saying that the reason why they're doing it is because they wanted to provide an alternative to people who want who don't want to use uh, G Suite or you know those kinds of things like Dropbox and well, eventually Dropbox, but those kinds of of setups um, where but they do want to still have one particular lo- um, company that they go to to have everything set up for them. They don't want to self-host it. They don't want to, uh, you know, control have to manage everything. They just wanted to go to one place, get all the stuff that they were leaving, and uh, use it all, you know, for a reasonable price. And this does seem to fit that vibe. Now, right now, the eight eight dollars a month. It depends on how long it takes to get the backup stuff and to get the file stuff and the contacts and all that stuff because you might be paying you know when those come out you'll be paying the same price to get everything where is until they get out you're paying more you're paying more to get less so it's just a weird decision to release it without having everything ready but hey there are some cool things that they have released so far. So they have chat, matrix, social based on Mastodon, uh, LibraMail, which is an end-to-end, end-to-end encryption structure, kind of like uh, ProtonMail. And uh, it uses the uh, K9 Mail Android app, uh, which is LibraMail, but it's based on K9. And they also have Librem Tunnel, uh, the VPN service, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's using private internet access to power it. Uh, because they did also announce their partnership with Private Internet Access a little while back that we covered on this show ex- actually, so um, it's interesting that they're doing this and I think there's a lot of potential for this as a service. I do I do wish them the best and I hope that they are successful with it because I do think that it, having a company that you could point to and say, hey, you know, you're using G Suite and everything, but this might be a better option for you because they respect your privacy and everything. So if you're a company that re- that's really important. Here's an option for you and that kind of thing. So I, I think this is great, but um, uh, it's still a little bit of a iffy thing with the whole stuff not being ready and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. Also, the, there's only 2 gigs of storage for the LibreMail, which is not small but not big. Most services are like a minimum of 3 gigs and ProtonMail is 5 gigs to start with. Uh, for the premium like the 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 low premium Uh, but it's okay i just wish they would you know try to provide some more options at least you know make it give you an option to pay more to get more gigs Uh, but uh, they do say that they did say that they're planning to do that at some point but we don't know when so anyway i'm glad that they're doing it i think the idea is fantastic i just wish they would a wait a little bit longer until everything was ready because it feels kind of interesting that purism is doing all this stuff at once and not every and some of these things kind of like feel like they they have a ton of potential but they're not quite there yet and anyway i wish them well and i hope that they this is a success because um this idea is fantastic and i i I think it does need to exist so yeah Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, as well as uh, the uh, link to the Destination Linux episode that we talked about this particular topic, as well as many more uh, for the next coming episode. Okay, technically it's not out right now, so I won't have the link right now, but when the episode does come out, i have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, it'll be episode 120 of Destination Linux. And it was a very interesting conversation we had about this because we had like devil's advocates, uh, you know, discussion as well as like pros and cons for this particular thing. I think it's definitely worth checking out. So, you know, check that out in this description or just go to DestinationLinux.org to find out the episode when it comes out. So, uh, you know, yeah, let's go to the next topic. The company Tutanota has launched a new encrypted contact form tool for websites. It's called Secure Connect. And if you've never heard of Tutanota, we talked about it in a previous episode, but Tutanota is a competitor to ProtonMail in that they are an email service that uh, is a, pr- a pro or premium email service that is very st- structured, uh, focused on encryption, privacy, and security, and everything like that. So like it's basically the same thing as like ProtonMail, uh, but it's a different company. So uh, I think this is really cool because they are doing this... Um, this service that is for the purpose of creating a contact form. And this form, by the way, is open source, the structure is open source encrypted communication tool. So it allows people to communicate with representative of a website securely and anonymously. So for example, let's say you were a journalist and a whistleblower wanted to contact you. If you had a basic form on your website, it's not really secure and it's not really and it's definitely not encrypted. And there's potential for people to intercept that data. So a whistleblower might not want to send you any information because of that. This tool is claiming to be able to offer an encrypted channel for a secure and confidential communication with anyone directly on their website. And specifically to support press freedom, they're doing this for free for news sites so that whistleblowers can, can get in touch with journalists securely and knowing for a fact that they that the stuff that they send is only going to the person they want it to go to, and they don't actually have to give their name up front about it. So they say all data is entered into the contact form is automatically encrypted end-to-end before it is sent to the mailbox of the website owner. Even files can be dropped into the form, which are then encrypted automatically. Um, so they also point, and in their blog post or the announcement, they also point out that some websites track IP addresses when you visit a website, which is true, that happens all the time. Um, They said that if you wanted to use Secure Connect anonymously, like a whistleblower might want to, they could use the website or access the website via Tor browser, making it a completely anonymous, uh, direct communication with that person. So it's a really cool idea, and I think this is like, it's surprising it took so long for this to exist, but I'm happy to see it now because this, this would maybe change the, um, you know, the, the the freedom of the press um, to the point where people are more willing to give information that they would want to, but are worried that it might get some backlash on it. So, anyway, that's pretty cool, and uh, uh, I applaud Tucaneta for making such a tool and also doing it for free for websites like uh, news sites and journalists and things. So. Yeah. If you have to learn more about this or Tutanota in general, I have a link to it in the show notes below, as well as an episode that we talked about Tutanota in the past if you'd like to learn more about their services. Up next in the show, we're going to move on to some distro news, or back to distro news, really. And that's first up we're going to have Deepin 15.10. So Deepin 15.10 was released and they're doing something pretty interesting because they're switching from their existing Debian testing style of 15.9 to using Debian Stable Rather than um, the testing version. So it's not going to be like rolling anymore. It's going to be a long term support approach instead. So Deepin 15, well, Deepin said this in their announcement uh, Deepin 15.10 is newly built and released using Debian stable repository. In this way, system stability and security is greatly improved, bringing users more stable and efficient experiences. End quote. So this is interesting because they're using, uh, you know, switching from, it's not really technically a downgrade. Uh, some people have described it as a downgrade, but it's more of a a switching of philosophies of having a stable versus rolling. Uh, so you know if that's what they want to do cool. Um, there's also some stuff that they're doing that's kind of interesting in the sense that they have this new auto merge option in their desk like their desktop context menu, which means that if you put files on the desktop it will automatically group them into different folders for videos, music, pictures, documents, applications and other stuff. so it like kind of automatically, Organizes your files on your desktop, so that's pretty interesting. I assume by like for file format and that kind of thing, so that's pretty cool. Um, it's an interesting idea because a lot of the time, people who use a desktop, it's it's very cluttered and random stuff here and there, and it's an interesting approach because I think that's uh, some people might really enjoy just having it automatically done for them. They also done a lot of you know improvements for the performance and bug fixes and all that kind of stuff, but I think the most interesting thing that they're doing in this particular version of 1510 is that they're they're replacing their window manager so deep in uh, desktop environment is the uh... Desktop environment they created for their distribution and it's known as probably one of the prettiest uh... desktop environments available for linux it's definitely on the in the top three for sure uh... but there's always been an issue with their system kind of being clunky like a little off there's some things that it, it has a nice polish but the functioning like backend is like kind of uh, missing something, uh, and I think that they've dec- they've basically acknowledged that and have decided to drop using their own window manager, uh, their custom window manager, and are replacing that with KWin of thing of all things. So this is very interesting to me anyway they say that the using the using kwin uh, makes it uh, is because it occupies less occupies less memory and has better performance providing smoother user experiences so this to me is very interesting because i want to see how the uses of kwin works out for them and i wonder what other distros who ship deep in desktop environment will do with this change and whether they'll, they'll implement this approach uh, because i think that the main issue with deepen is that it looks really good, but it's pretty clunky as well. And kind of a big issue with KWIN is that it's very, very polished functionally, but not that great in the appearance structure. So, I mean, Breeze is a great theme. I'm not saying that that's not, but there are some things that it's not really well polished it's kind of there's there's so many different things that it can do and it's so you know that the controls are scattered here and there i'm curious what's going to happen because of the approach that Deepin takes with their you know their polish and the their attention to detail as far as design using kwin as their you know their back end to do it that could be a really great combination so i look forward to checking that out when they have it ready um you you know uh like it is the first release so it is technically ready but i'm saying like they probably haven't had a lot of time to develop that polish for it um, but i am checking to see i'm very curious to see what how it is how it, how what ends up with this because this has a ton of potential to both have you know a great back end and a great front end and all that so uh you know it'd be really cool to see what happens with this and also what happens with other distros if they're going to ship deep in like that or the deep in desktop environment and how that works out there too so Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the release notes for Deepin 15.10 in the show notes. Up next in the show is an update for 4.6 of Parrot Security. So Parrot Security is a—it's um, kind of like Kali Linux. It is a, a penetration testing distribution, and this is uh, this latest release is actually like a point release, but it's changing quite a lot and adding a lot of cool features. So they've actually added uh, OpenNIC support in a non-serve to let users switch from the the system DNS servers to using the OpenNIC uh, DNS resolvers. So that's interesting, as well as having better OpenVPN support. Uh, They're also uh, enforcing HTTPS on on APT now, the APT package tool. This um, This is interesting because APT doesn't really require HTTP by default. Uh, so, because some some repositories don't, uh, we've talked about it in the previous episode before, uh, but some repositories don't, uh, you know, use HTTPS and therefore they would break in certain mirrors and that kind of thing. So that's why. Uh, but this is cool because they have the option by default to use HTTPS, and if it doesn't have HTTPS, it does a downgrade for apt in order to use the other version. So that's an interesting approach to it. And uh, but another thing that I like about this latest release is. Um, well, they've added KDE Plasma as a version or desktop version for their distro. So they already had the existing version they were using Mate. And that's a great desktop environment as well. But I tend to prefer KDE Plasma. So I think this is pretty cool uh, to have a penetration testing distro or p- that has Plasma as a DE. So, yeah. I think that's pretty cool, and I like to see what you know what happens uh, for Parrot par- Security as far as how they implemented Plasma, because Parrot Security is actually a very interesting thing because uh, most of the time these types of uh, distributions that are you know hacking or par- penetration testing don't really care about the uh, the appearance of the system; they only care about the function, which is understandable because it's it's a it's a it's a, uh, it's a purposefully made distribution. However, Parrot Security goes beyond that and also does make a really nice-looking interface for their system. So I'm looking forward to trying out um, Parrot 4.6 to see how how they implemented Plasma because, you know, I'm just curious what they did. Uh, They also did some uh, better support for snap package confinement as well for this release, so it makes it better for snap packages to uh, run inside of Parrot. Uh, So that's pretty cool. So if you'd like to learn more about Parrot Security or this particular release, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is actually a friend of the show, Farron OS developers uh, released the uh, Farron OS April 2019 snapshot. And uh, this is actually pretty cool because they've done some interesting things for their installer. They have this uh, out-of-the-box experience or the OOBE uh, structure for the latest release of Farron. And this is where you can choose the codecs and the layout and whether you use a light and dark mode or having a custom accent color. Choosing whether animations are toggled on and off, and that kind of thing in the installer before you even set up, before you actually install the system. So that is a pretty cool idea. So you get to be able to customize it before you even install it. So that's cool. Uh, they've also uh, updated and modified their uh, the theming for the GTK two and GTK three structure. So that it uh, m- blends better with the darkened theme, as well as at overall uh, improvements to the theming for Farron OS in general, to so make it more cohesive and everything like that. They've also updated the window borders to make it so the title bars are consistent with the new theme. Uh, just putting a lot of effort into uh, making or making it consistent with overall, like all the new changes that they've done. So this is pretty cool. They've uh, they've also decided to uh, do some improvements to their welcome screen. Uh, I'll have a link to the full uh, blog post about this so you can find out everything that they did because there's quite a bit. Um, but one of the things I was interested in it, it was that they have implemented the KDE Neon User Edition repositories. They put that into the, uh, the mirrored into their repositories for Neon Bionic. So you can have uh, the repositories of Neon allowing you to have uh, packages, like, the, like basically the latest and greatest KDE packages inside of uh, Farron OS. Which is pretty cool. Because Ferran OS right now is based on Cinnamon. I think they're working on a KDE Plasma version as well. But their main version is Cinnamon. So having... Um, all the different uh, great uh, latest and greatest packages from KDE via the KDE Neon User Edition repository is a pretty interesting approach to it because you kind of get like the best of both if you, you know, whether you use GTK or Qt, whatever. And that's an interesting idea. And there's also a lot of cool custom, if you never use Fair and OS, there's a lot of interesting approaches like ideas that he's done in their, in their development um, because there's like a lot of customizations for, you know, design the way it, the way it works and feels like the workflow of it you know overall it's pretty cool that the you know the amount of work he's done uh over a fairly short period of time as well so if you're curious about uh checking out Farron OS I have a link to the April 2019 snapshot blog post in the show notes below to round out the the distro news this week we have Netrunner Netrunner April 2019 release has come out And this comes with a new look and feel featuring dark theme powered by Kvantum theme engine, which is a more modern 3D looking design with some transparency and stuff like that. So what's interesting is if you've never heard of Netrunner, Netrunner is uh, pretty cool because they create multiple options, both a stable version and a rolling version. So by that I mean that the the distro is... uh, based on different distributions as the core base like the core structure so the uh, stable version is based on debian they have both a debian testing and a debian stable uh, option because like it's a netrunner core i think is what they call it but they also have another version where they is the netrunner rolling and that's based on manjaro so it's like a arch-ish kind of approach where but it's it's not really arch because manjaro is not really arch either uh, that's their own separate thing but it's a uh, the same approach with the same tooling and that kind of thing so it's pretty interesting if you haven't checked it out it's definitely worth trying at least to try out both like the see the experience between having the Manjaro version and the debian version that's pretty cool uh, they've also improved it where they have a new a light glow that will appear on the like when you user activate the minimize all windows so, like show desktop type thing so they're putting a lot not a nice bit of polish on it and uh, if you never also if you never heard of uh, Netrunner, uh, another worth thing that's noting is that Netrunner is made by the Blue Systems company, and Blue Systems is a very much a heavy backer of the KDE community. In fact, that the, a lot of employees for uh, Blue Systems actually works on KDE. Like for example, uh, the people who run KDE Neon are employees of Blue run- Blue Systems. So. Uh, there's a like blue systems is heavily involved in the development of KDE and plasma and all that stuff. So um, they have, you know, this, they've had their own distro kind of like, here's a testing ground for things that we want to see happen in plasma and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a really interesting distro. So if you haven't heard of it and you are interested in plasma anyway, I do think it's worth giving it a shot because they do some interesting things. Um, If you've, if you've never used plasma before, I don't know if I would suggest Netrunner exactly because I think Kubuntu is probably the better uh, first time user for Plasma, Uh, but at the same time, Netrunner is a good option as well. So yeah, Uh, they've also introduced a new category system for their their applications menu for web apps. So that's pretty cool if you uh, wanted to use web apps, they have a structure for that now as well. So anyway... um, I think Netrunner is worth checking out, especially since they have this new version has all, all these different impr- uh, approaches as well as this new uh, Plasma Tweaks section of the system settings that they are doing. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that's being done for Netrunner that's custom, like kind of um, testing ground sort of thing. And if you wanted to try that out and check out what they're, what they're doing, I think it's worth doing. So I'll have a link to the Netrunner uh, April 2019 release blog post in the show notes below. Up next in the show is U Launcher. It's uh, called the Ultimate App Launcher. I think it's what they use for, uh, and this is an interesting thing because it's a brand new uh, application launcher. I've never heard of, but has quite a bit of work built into it. I don't know. It's not brand new. I guess it's brand new to me. So whatever. Uh, but U Launcher is pretty cool because it also has this feature where you can type an application name without worrying about the spelling. So you can have you can just totally butcher the name. Put the wrong letters and it will still try to figure it out and for the most part it does pretty well about doing so Uh, so it it will also like select the best option you can just click hit hit enter and it will open whatever that is selected or you could just use your arrow keys up and down to select the one that you that you would rather have if it didn't get the right one so it's pretty cool they also have multiple themes you could use uh, for built-in themes but as well as also other themes for the um, the community is built that you could use and you can also custom, like create uh, custom color schemes as well. Um, there's, it's a lot of interesting things because it has a lot of functionality. It's got like calculator built into it, application launcher, file searching, that kind of stuff. It's very similar to KRunner, and it's similar to Albert and some other stuff like Synapse. Uh, but the, the difference here is that um, it's very modern approach. Like it's, It looks very nice. So it's got a better UI than most of the other ones. And uh, it has an extension system, so you can create uh, you can c- create custom shortcuts and extensions to modify how it works. But you can also install extensions from a the extensions uh, marketplace. I guess it's not really marketplace because I'm pretty sure everything's free. Uh, but it is like third party extensions you can get from uh, their website. Uh, so you can you can check that out, and it's I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I've only used it a little bit to kind of test it for this episode, but So far, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I would definitely say it's worth checking out if you don't have KRunner. Like, for Plasma users, we have KRunner, which basically does the same thing, and it's built into the Plasma desktop. So I think that if you you don't use Plasma, it's definitely worth checking out because app launchers will change your workflow so much. Like, you know, you have the main menu. You have, like, the launchers for shortcuts you could do, like uh, Super 1 or, you know, the windows key or logo key, super key, whatever Uh windows one, two, three will launch and some dist- desktops it will launch like whatever's in your pin to your taskbar and that kind of thing. Or you can hit the super key and launch the main menu and that kind of thing. But at the same time, the um, app launchers are so much better. They, they provide so much more features. They're just, you just get used to doing it this way. And once you get used to it, you kind of want to always have one. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I guess if you want to change your workflow, check out Ulauncher. <laughs> but anyway, it does look really good too. I like to, I got to say that. So um, a lot of these app launchers don't look that good. This one definitely does. So if you are interested in checking out Ulauncher, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest releases for some financial applications created by the KDE community. One has a unfortunate name, not very good name. And the other one has a really good name. And uh, yeah, so, well, I think it's good. It's a, it's clever, but at the same time, unique, I think. So first off, we'll talk about K my money. That's why it's not, not a very good name, but it's very good application and has a lot of cool features. And uh, if you wanted to do uh, both your personal banking and your business banking uh, on your desktop, K my money is a great option for that. Uh, Scrooge, I'm pretty sure, is more geared toward the personal financing stuff, um, but either way, they're both great uh, great applications, so there's that. Uh, k Money has better integration with online banking services. It has new function to uh, make a new transaction from anywhere inside the app. Uh, they've been do- they've done improvements to the tagging system. Uh, there's a lot of performance improvements and bug fixes and all that. so it's really good. Uh, and, and it's, it's pretty complicated to get used to setting up these applications. Um, uh, it, even someone who's like very technical, like the financial apps are just like, okay, <laughs> you say so. Uh, but what's really cool is that they have the online banking s- uh, stuff so it can like automatically pull in your transactions from your bank account. So it will, uh, you can automatically do budgeting that way. So rather than having to go and manually type in the expenses reports and stuff like that, it will pull it in for you. So that's awesome. And Scrooge is the other application, uh, Scrooge with a K, which I, uh, that's cool because it's, you know, it's a finance thing. It's based on Ebenezer Scrooge and spelled like with a K because of the K E thing. I like the name. Okay. I like it anyway. Uh, this new uh, version has a new feature for a uh, tracker with running balance in the operations page, better performance in the dashboard, and monthly reports, Like well, as well as really overall performance in general. And they've also done a lot of bug fixes. I think both of these applications are really good for what they do. And if you are inter- looking, interested in looking for a financial or budgeting application for Linux, then check out KMyMoney or Scrooge in the show notes below next in the show is the latest release of QEMU virtualization system. They have improvements for various architectures like ARM, HPPA, MIPS, PowerPC, RISC-V, X86, and more. There's new options to configure or launch a SPICE client GUI with a similar UI to the, G, the QEMU GTK, which is very cool. Uh, they've also got support for out-of-band commu- uh, command execution for QM- QMP, which can be useful per, for post-copy migration recovery. And they've improved the tracing and error diagnostics for network block service, or block device, sorry, network block device. This is very cool, and QEMU is one of the most, uh, you know, powerful virtualization systems for Linux, and if you have never used it before, you definitely need to check it out. It's very good. So QEMU 4.0.0 has been released, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So we have some unfortunate news to talk about, and, uh, well, more fortunate for me because I'm a big fan of the game, I guess. Uh, For people who don't play the game, they don't really have a reason to care. But Epic Games is at it again. They have uh, acquired Psyonix. For those who are not aware, Psyonix is the maker of Rocket League, which I'm a big fan of and talked about on the show multiple times. Sorry for those who are not interested in that game, but I am, so there it is. Anyway, uh, Epic Games is, uh, you know, at this point, they're notorious for doing horrible things to companies and games and stuff. Uh, in the sense of like doing exclusives, uh, purchasing exclusive rights to games so that people who are using Steam can't play them and all this other nonsense. Uh, but this is not just purchasing an exclusive. They are actually per- they have actually purchased Psionics, the company itself that makes Rocket League. So not only did they, they, they purchase the game, they purchased the entire company, which is kind of interesting in a sense of like the history, really, of Psionics because... The guy who started Psyonix was um, a developer for Epic Games. I don't think he worked specifically for Epic Games. They, Psyonix used to create uh, custom stuff for Unreal Tournament. Used to um, build a variety of different stuff that's like based on Unreal and all that stuff. So it's not like they didn't have a, a, a um, they didn't have a connection. In general, before this, they really actually had a really deep connection. They worked for they worked with Epic a lot of the time for a long time, um, but at the same time, still disappointed because I don't want Epic to ruin Rocket League, and I don't want Rocket League to root, to no longer have access on Linux and that kind of stuff because um, Rocket League is one of those great, fantastic, super popular games that does actually support Linux. So I don't want that to go away, and I really am. Um, would not be surprised if Epic did do that because, well, they're terrible. So, yeah. Anyway, Rocket League has actually said, they, they've done like an editor's note in their announcement, and they, they, so they're they saying, we wanted to clarify something uh, for you after today's news. Rocket League is and remain will remain available on Steam. Anyone who owns Rocket League through Steam can still play it and look forward to continued support then there's there's news that was saying that that it's going away from Steam, but Psyonix also said that they are working uh, that they have plans for the future, for with Epic. So we don't know exactly what that might entail. There could be some really cool things from it. Like for example, they could be going uh, free to play, bringing in a whole new audience and a much larger audience. They could use Epic's money to invest in making esports of Rocket League grow exponentially which would be awesome because get more people involved get more esports orgs involved and uh, they could blow up that scene that would be awesome Uh, but epic well they kind of screwed up their fortnite esports scene so who knows what could happen there basically if uh, epic gives Psyonix money and let psionics just do what they do that could be amazing if epic tries to force things onto them uh that could be terrible so we'll see what happens there. Uh, but yeah overall um I'm not excited about this news, but at the same time, I guess it could be worse they could have already just killed it <laughs> for Linux anyway but yeah I don't know I don't really know what to think about it. who knows what epic games is thinking because the guy who runs epic has... Many times made fun of Linux, mocked Linux gamers and uh, that kind of thing. And has been, um, you know, contrary to it. Also has been massively hypocritical, talking about how cross-platform is important. And then, you know, ignoring Linux and all that. Uh, So, yeah. The Epic Game Store is now available on Linux. Epic, actually, the Game Store had no plans whatsoever to do a Linux port... But it is available on Linux now, because someone else did it, and that person, that group is Lutris. So thank you very much to Lutris for doing this. This is very cool. It makes it possible to show that Epic Epic Game Store can work on Linux, and a lot of the games that are in the store can work on Linux. That's awesome. Well done. But at the same time, uh, I still don't like Epic because they had nothing to do with it, and then you know. <laughs> but to give a little bit, a little bit of credit, very small amount of credit to the CEO of Epic Games, Tim Sweeney, which I talked about previously, who's an to give him a little bit of credit, when Lutris tweeted that they have now made the Epic Games store available on Linux, he did reply saying that they should uh, request or to apply for a mega grant or whatever that epic has a pr- uh, program that people who c- can request money to work on things f- on behalf of epic so that's cool you know i mean he could have responded in a much worse way like oh, how dare you mess with our blah blah so no i mean i know he's not he's actually he's a he's an interesting person because he's pro open source but not but doesn't care enough about linux or open source to actually Embrace it completely. You know it's weird. I guess we're just gonna move on because I'm just gonna be saying more negative things about Epic Games because I don't like them and uh, whatever. But at the same time, uh, awesome work by Lutris for making Epic Same Store work on on uh, on Linux because we all know Epic One's gonna do it themselves. So thank you, fantastic. Um, you know I look forward to hopefully playing Borderlands Three through the Epic Game Store if it happens and it's possible on Linux. That'd be great. Um, yeah. So instead of ending the show on a sour note, I wanted to end on a great note. And that's why we're going to talk about the new humble bundle package for Python, uh, by the O'Reilly company. There's, it's a bunch of tools and books to learn how to program in Python, which is very cool. So they have an intro to Python. They even have something called the hitchhiker's guide to Python, as well as, uh, Eleven more books that you can get, so a total of thirteen books for fifteen dollars. Essentially, is what the bundle is. And if you are interested, I think that uh, I, I don't. I haven't actually tried all these books, so I don't really know. I can't give you a review a review of these books, or I can't give you like an assessment of them. However, O'Reilly has been around for a long time, and they do have a lot of good writers on their their um, team. And also, Python is a fantastic language to learn programming. So if you've never programmed before, Python is a is probably the best language to learn for from a beginner because you have a simple approach by default, and then it can go very powerful as as well. So like you can start in a you know a simple way and then develop into a big powerful system. Then you can move on to other languages if you wanted to. But I do think that Python is the best one to start for a beginner. Uh, so this is why I wanted to cover it in the show because if you are a beginner or you just wanted to learn more about Python, um, the Humble Bundle. Is a good deal, and also um, I'll have a link in the show notes. But just to be clear, the link in the show notes is an affiliate link for the Humble Bundle. So if you do decide to purchase these this bundle, please use that link because it will give a small percentage back to the uh, Tux Digital Channel and this podcast, and would help me, you know, continue to create the show and help the channel grow and everything. So. And it would cost nothing extra for you. It's just a nice uh, commission thing that they that Humble Bundle does give me for promoting this particular thing to you. So if you are interested in, in, in checking out these, this Python Bundle, please use the link in the show notes below. And uh, I very much appreciate it. So, yeah. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what to do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash linux everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash linux everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. I still need to make a smaller... A URL for that and make a store or something. I will do that as soon as possible. But in the meantime, we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, private internet access, and more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, you can visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness for me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, the show is live usually every Saturday. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week, except for this week. I didn't do it live, but next week. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tannell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.